Amen. Praise God. Turn your attention this morning to the book of James chapter 1 and verse 15. James chapter 1 and reading one verse in your hearing this morning. Verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Lust, when it conceive, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I'd like to speak this morning for a few moments in your hearing on this simple subject, unfinished business. Unfinished business. Would you bow your heads and pray with us? Lord, we are thankful for your presence that we always feel in such a prevalent and a strong way here today. We ask you, God, that you would anoint our hearts and minds to receive your word. We ask you, Lord, that you would touch lives, your spirit, God, that changes us from the inside out. We recognize our utter dependence upon you, Lord, and we ask God for your divine favor, for your anointing, your spirit to permeate this place and that, God, we would trust in you and know that you are alive, that you are concerned about every one of our lives and that you're not far, but you're just as close as the mention of your name. And so we call upon the name of Jesus today, Lord. Have your way in this service. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Unfinished business. I was always taught as a boy to finish what I started. Didn't matter what it was, we were to finish it. If you're getting undressed, then you're not finished until... You hang up your clothes, you know, that you're going to wear again. And those that are dirty, you put in the dirty clothes hamper. You're not finished until you do that. If you're doing homework, you're not finished until the paper is ready to be turned into the teacher. If you're going to Bible quiz, then, you know, you got to finish what you start. If you're going to play with a game or toys, then, you know, you must put everything back the way you found it. And you're not finished until you do. When you cut the grass, then it's not enough to just cut the grass, but then you got to put everything back in the garage, everything back the way that it's supposed to be. And until you do, the work is not finished. If there's any reward that's to be gained, like playing with your friends after your chores are done, then that's not given to you until you're finished. That's to reinforce this principle that we must be strong finishers. Well, my nature is to work toward reward, so I grew up with this mindset that you have to finish what you start. That's why I have to pay something off before I get something new. It's just a part of my mindset. It's in my DNA. That's why we, as a church, paid off the building before we built the second building, and we paid off the second building before we're going to build the third building across the street. So you pay things off before you start the next thing. I feel like giving a financial seminar here this morning. <laughs> you got to pay things off. You got to finish it, you know, before you go to the next one. I feel like when Naomi was telling her daughter-in-law, Ruth, about how Boaz and the men in the city were going to conduct the business of the kinsman redeemer, we read about that in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 18. And she said to her daughter, she called her her daughter, it was her daughter-in-law, she said, now sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. 
for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. In other words, it may seem like it's a sort of a messy process, but just sit still because they will finish their business before that day is over. Well, that's a positive attribute. In fact, I believe I can show you where it's a biblical principle. In fact, Luke chapter 14 and verse 28 says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? And that's old English, but that's just basically saying count the cost because don't start it unless you can finish it. You've probably heard that said before. Don't start something that you can't finish. How many of you have ever heard that? You know, that's our nature. We want to finish it. We want closure. So when the Lord gave me this message, it took me a while to receive it in my mind and in my heart because it sort of went against the grain of what I had always thought was something that each of us should strive for. But the more I studied it, the more I realized that there are some things that are better off that they're not finished. Perhaps one of the best illustrations of this is a principle that we read about in John chapter 8 whenever the scribes and the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus in his teaching, trying to put him in a place of contradiction with the law, brought a lady to him that had been caught in the very act of adultery, knowing that the law said that a woman caught in the act of adultery should be stoned. They, they brought her to Jesus in front of the crowds that he was teaching in an effort to try to trap him. John chapter 8 and verse 3 is where we pick up the narrative. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. That's the Bible's polite way of saying he was ignoring them. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. That's the way they would execute people in that day. They would throw large stones at them. And Verse 8 says, And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. There's always been great speculation about what he wrote. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And of course, we go on to read that he says unto her, where are thine accusers? And she said, they're all gone. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, there was no doubt that she was in sin. That's not what the issue is. But the issue is that the sin was not finished. Because the Bible says that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. 
How do we know that the sin was not finished? Because she was still alive. If these men would have stoned her, then the sin would have been finished with a death sentence. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you are alive today, reach up there and pinch yourself and see if it hurts a little bit. That way you know you're still alive. If you're alive today, and you are, you wouldn't be sitting here breathing air. Then even if you are in sin, you need to be thankful today that the sin has not yet been finalized. Now some of y'all are afraid to clap because you think that means you'll tell all your neighbors you're in sin. <laughs> Let me make it a little more palatable for you. If you have ever been in sin in your past, but it didn't destroy you, and you found your way to the house of God, you ought to be thankful that that cycle of destruction was broken by the mercy of God. Oh, hallelujah. So this is unfinished business. Sin is always trying to torment people, whether they're in church or out of church. None of us are exempt from sin. But sin cannot finish what it wants to do. Just before the thief on the cross next to Jesus died, he turned to Christ and he confessed his faith in Jesus. And I want to say this to you today. As long as there is life, there is hope. I said as long as there is life. You may have children that are not serving God right now, but I've come to you with a word from the throne of God that sin has not finished because they are still alive, and if they are still alive, there's still hope. Oh, hallelujah. The sin has not finished. Now, you say, why is there this process Lust when it has conceived bringeth forth sin. Sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. What is it about this process that causes sin to have to develop something in us or through us or oppress us in such a way that it extinguishes all hope? Well, sin has a destructive nature to it. The world tries to present sin as being fun and, and being something that is is so glamorous. Uh, I heard somebody say something the other day that, uh, that seemed so odd, and you probably have heard it as well. They said, I am as happy as H-E-L-L. And then I heard somebody else said that they were as excited as H-E-L-L. And I heard people saying this, and I thought to myself, they must not know about H-E-L-L. Because H-E-L-L -L is not happy, and H-E-L-L -L is not excited. Now, I'm sure they were just using it, you know, as, as some sort of euphemism. But the point is that the world has been desensitized into thinking that sin is fun and that hell is a happy place. I've come to tell you that both of those are lies. Sin is not fun. Sin wants to destroy your life, your health, your marriage, your children, your mind. 
And hell is eternal punishment. But I've got a God, hallelujah, that has given us a way out. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And this is what I want to preach to you about in the next few moments that I have with you. The reason that sin cannot finish what it is trying to finish is because there is something else that is warring against us and it has unfinished business. Let's look at Psalms chapter 23 and verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days. Everybody say all the days. That doesn't mean that the goodness and the mercy of God is only on Mondays or only on Sundays or only at Easter or only at Christmas or only... It's every day. Mercy and goodness shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know sin is a constant tormentor, but the goodness of God and the mercy of God is also working day and night and it doesn't have an expiration date on it. So Psalms chapter 25 and verse 6 explains this a little bit more. It says simply this. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Oh, hallelujah. I love that. The tender mercies of God and his loving kindness is as old as sin. It's been around since sin was introduced to the human race in the Garden of Eden. Psalms chapter 25 and verse 7 says this, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions, according to thy mercy. Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. So there is this sin that is attempting to grow up and finalize its mission to take your life. That's what its mission is. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. But the reason that it can't is because the goodness and the mercy of God, which also is everlasting, keeps warring against it and won't allow sin to complete its mission. That's why every day you ought to be thankful that there's a church to go to. You ought to be thankful that you can come into the house of God and lift up your hands and say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. You ought to be thankful that you've got a word from God that is in your head. You ought to be thankful for a mother or father that is willing to pray for you. You ought to be thankful that you live in a country where you've got the freedom to worship God. That's the goodness and the mercy of God's favor. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And the mercy and the love of God are renewing every day. And they are preserving us and they are preventing sin from finishing its work. Psalms chapter 40 and verse 11 says this, Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually, everybody say continually, continually continually preserve me. 
continually. It has to be ever vigilant, the mercy and the love of God. It can't take one day off. Sometimes we think that God has forgotten us because we're going through some trial. Ladies and gentlemen, the mercy and the loving kindness of God is continually working on our behalf. If it's not, then sin would have finished its business a long time ago. Sin tried to take you out a long time ago. Sin tried to take me out a long time ago. Sin wants to destroy you so you don't have a voice to worship God. That's why you ought to spend every day glorifying God. To remind heaven and hell that sin is not finished. That the loving kindness of God has given me one more day to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I've got one. Oh, I feel the... I've got one more opportunity to come into God's house and to say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I want to remind myself that God's mercy is still upon me. Woo! So this important principle becomes relevant for each of us today. Just because something has a sinful origin does not mean that it has to have a sinful finality. I want you to say, I want to make sure you get this point. Just because something started in sin doesn't mean it has to end in sin. Some things that start out in sin, it may be something that you and I never intended for it to become what it is. Maybe it's something that started out long before you realized that living for God is the only life that's really worth living. And so sin had gotten its roots in a situation that perhaps you may even still be dealing with. Ladies and gentlemen, that sin does not have to determine your destiny. There is something greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on, there's the mercy and the loving kindness of God that has been warring and working against that sin in your life from day one. And God said, I'm not done with you yet. If the devil wanted to destroy you, he could have done it a long time ago. But the mercy of God preserved us. Even though it predated the law. Abraham and Sarah were not supposed to be married to each other. They were half brother and sister. They had the same father but different mothers. Abraham revealed this to Bimelech, who was the king of a, another nation. And apparently Sarah was very attractive and Abraham was fearful that Abimelech would kill Abraham to take his wife so when they got into that particular area Abraham told Abimelech that Sarah was his sister and Abimelech said well she's very beautiful we'd like for her to come up to the palace and Abraham consented but even when we're making some stupid decisions God can work on our behalf. 
So in a dream that night, God said to Abimelech, she's got a husband. And if you touch her, you're going to die. And Abimelech's like, uh-oh. And everybody in your household's going to die. Now you better go and pray that Abraham will intercede on your behalf because he's a prophet. This is what God told him in a dream. And oh, by the way, that's his wife. He said, well, I thought it was his sister. He told me it was his sister. I'm sure he was pleading his case before the Lord. So the next day, he goes to Abraham and says, why did you lie to me? Here's what Abraham said in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 12. He said, and yet indeed she is my sister. He said, I wasn't really lying. She is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Abraham, the father of faith, married his half-sister. Now, the penalty for that sort of incestuous relationship was that they had to be removed from their family, even though this predated the law. But Abraham was a worshiper of God. Well, I'm going to tell you what, folks. If I don't get anything else across this morning, I hope I can get this across to you. That you need to make sure you worship God every day you live. Because God will even overlook some junk in your life if you'll just say, God, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but I'm going to come up in your house today and say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I know I've got some stuff I've got to work out, but God, I'm still thankful you've given me breath to praise you. This thing started out in sin, but Abraham, the Bible said, was a worshiper of God, and God intervened. God told them to come out of Ur of the Chaldeans and to separate themselves from their kindred. In other words, he was taking what was to be their punishment. He was taking it, turning it around, and making it something positive. Look at what Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 says. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. And from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. I'm going to give you a different destiny, Abraham, than what your choices would dictate because you have chosen to worship the one true living God. You're not going to worship idols like your daddy and all your relatives. You've chosen to worship me. And even though you got something that was born in sin, it doesn't have to end in sin. It can end in the promise of the miraculous power of God. This is what a great God we serve. Abraham was a man of faith, but there were times when he was fearful. The loving kindness of God kept warring against his sin. This is another reason why Sarah laughed when it was prophesied to her that she would have a son. Not only did she not believe this because of her advanced age, but also because of her past. There's no way a promise is going to come from this. There's no way that God is going to use me. She tells Abraham, if you want an heir, you're going to have to come. It's going to have to come from Hagar, my handmaiden. It's not going to come from me because she didn't think anything good of the value could ever come from her because of her past. But sin could not complete its cycle because the mercy of God kept interfering. And it was hard for her to believe it. It took angels from heaven to come down and say, you're going to have a son, Sarah. It's not going to be from Hagar and it's not going to be from anybody else. It's going to be from you. 
Some of you think God can never use you because of your past. But I've come to tell you that God's got something miraculous for you. He will use you with all of your mistakes and all of your scars and all of your faults. Oh, I wish I could get a witness at the First Pentecostal Church today. There's some unfinished business with God. You don't think anything good could ever come from your life because of the sins of your past. But I've come to tell you there's some unfinished business. The mercy of God is warring for you. It's stopping sin from finishing its work. So that the mercy of God is like a circuit breaker. Sin and mercy are in a battle. And you determine who will win. It is your will that will determine who will win. What do you want more? Do you want your sin or do you want the love of God? It's whatever you want the most that will cause that one to win. If you want the mercy of God more than you want the sin in your life, then the mercy of God will prevail. But if you want your sin more than you want the mercy of God, then sin will prevail and eventually finish its course. But if you say, God, I'm not strong enough to do this on my own. I need your help. I need your mercy. I need your love. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's not a demon in hell that can stop the love and the mercy of God from intervening on your behalf. And I just want to say it again so I make sure you got this. It's your decision that will determine your destiny. It's not your past that will determine your destiny. It's your decision. Where do I go from this day forward? I choose to be a worshiper. I choose to believe that anything is possible with God. I choose to believe greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's what will determine your destiny. If the Abraham and Sarah's story was not enough. Let me give you another one. You ever heard of a guy in the Bible by the name of Moses? Moses' parents, Jochebed and Amrad, were aunt and nephew. The daughter and grandson of Levi. Both born on the same day when Jacob entered Egypt. Under the law, the offspring of such a relationship was supposed to die. Miriam is the firstborn, and her name means bitter. Then comes Aaron, and his name means to conceive because the Jewish mothers feared for the lives of their sons that were being born in the Egyptian captivity. Then came Moses. After the law, after the edict had been declared from Pharaoh's palace, that every Jewish male child must die. So Jochebed now has two things that say that Moses must die. A secular law and a spiritual law. Both of them saying the offspring must die. But instead of Moses dying, he was preserved in the palace of Pharaoh. That's how God likes to work. God doesn't just give you a great result. 
where there may have not been a great beginning. But God will literally use the very devices that the enemy has attempted to make to destroy you and bring you about a tremendous result. The gallows that were built by Haman to destroy Mordecai were the same gallows that Haman hung from himself. I'm going to tell you what, folks, I saw it all the time when I used to work with Matt Staver at Liberty Council. Every time the ACLU or the liberals would overreach and try to stop a church from being able to pass out tracts or a young person from being able to speak about their faith at a graduation ceremony or, or a person in an elementary school wanting to wear a shirt that says Jesus loves you. Every time they overreach, God turned it around. And not only gave us a victory, but gave us a law that allowed thousands of other people to use that same vehicle to witness to their friends and neighbors. Folks, I've come to tell you, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. God will give you the victory. So Moses, instead of dying, is preserved in the palace. Not only that, but his brother Aaron and Miriam, his sister, were also protected. God called them. Now this is something that amazes me even more. Now watch this. God calls them into the priesthood through the tribe of Levi. He selects Levi to be the tribe that the priesthood will come from. Now remember, Levi is the father and grandfather of the parents of Moses. And God says the priesthood will come out of the tribe of Levi. He chooses Levi and then covers, watch this now, he covers the priesthood with blood. You see, the priest had to conduct the blood sacrifice for the sins of the people to be removed and for the privilege or the legal authority to go into the holy place. This is why Jesus, as our high priest, he had to be the blood sacrifice to fulfill the law and to give legal authority for the stain of sin to be removed. But it didn't start there. It started all the way back there in Egypt when the blood was applied to the doorpost of the homes of the Jewish people so that the death angel would pass over. The death angel had a mission like sin does, and that is to kill and to destroy. So the children of Israel were given a way out. Take the blood, apply it to the doorpost, the threshold of the room, and every house that's covered with the blood, when the death angel comes over, it has to keep going. Death can't finish its work at that house. The blood is going to break the cycle. The blood is going to break the curse. And that happened. All those Jewish families that applied the blood now, there were some people saying, I don't want to do all that. That's going to be real messy. Blood's going to drip all down. We've got to kill one of our goats. We're saving it for a big feast. We don't want to do any of that. Their house wasn't covered. But the ones that covered, the death angel had no impact on that home. Amen. Now, folks, God covered Levi and his offspring from death by pulling them into the blood-covered priesthood. Good God Almighty. You thought Watergate was a big cover-up. You thought Benghazi was a massive cover-up. There is no bigger cover-up than what God does when he covers our sins with his blood. 
hallelujah. It is the mercy of God through the blood of Christ that stops sin from bringing about its final act of death. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful for the blood that breaks the curse of sin. I think we ought to, I think we ought to lift our hands right now in our voices. Thank you for your blood, Lord. Thankful for your blood, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's the sounds of people that are thankful for the blood. I'm thankful, God, that you intervened. I'm thankful, God, that you didn't allow sin to finish its course. We've come into your house today, God, to say thank you, Lord. We thank you for the blood of Calvary. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your mercy and loving kindness. Jesus. Mm. You can remain standing. I feel like telling you this this morning. Just as sin is unfinished until it brings about death, forgiveness is unfinished until it brings about a regeneration or a resurrection. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Now by works of righteousness which he hath done. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, when you ask God to forgive you, he does. By the power of his blood. And then there is a washing away of the sins by the authority of the name of Jesus. That's why Peter said, not only must you repent of your sins, but you must be baptized in the name of Jesus. But then comes the best part. The renewing of the Holy Ghost. God gives us the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and it completes the salvation process. So salvation is incomplete until you receive the Holy Ghost. Just like the death of Christ would be incomplete without the resurrection.
Salvation is incomplete until you've had the renewing or the regeneration of his spirit. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. But the spirit, when it is finished, bringeth forth life. Oh, I feel like shouting as loud as I can with my voice today. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Maybe you're here this morning and you've asked God to forgive you of your sins. But it seems like you keep going back to your same mistakes over and over again. I've come to tell you there's unfinished business. Yes, sin's trying to finish its course. But so is God. God's got his mercy and his loving kindness that's standing there warring against the sin. But he didn't just leave us there. God's not a God that just stays in a neutral position. He said, I'm going to give you something. It's going to be the gift of my spirit. And I'm going to put it inside of you. In the Old Testament, they just had the spirit as it would move upon them. But he said, you're going to be able to have it within you. It can take up residence. This is what happened in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They were all gathered in one mind and one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Ladies and gentlemen, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That completes the cycle of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that the Bible says, when the Lord comes back for his church, he tells us that if you've got the Spirit of Christ in you, that same Spirit is going to quicken your mortal bodies. It's going to be what propels you out of this pull of gravity. It's going to be what causes you to be a one of the many members of God's royal family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not preaching out of a comic book. I'm telling you what thus saith the word of God. It's what thus saith the word of God. And it is for every single individual. It's not God's will that any would perish and be lost. But all of us today, if we could be completely honest, we'd have to say we're in the midst of unfinished business. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're honest with God and honest with yourself today, you would have to agree. Lord, I know you're still at work in my life. And even though the enemy sees unfinished business, I know, Lord, you see unfinished business. You're still working. You're still trying to mold us. You've got us on the potter's wheel trying to make us a vessel of honor and an instrument of praise. Or maybe you're doing the best you can, but you just need the Spirit of God to come into your life today. I, I want to invite you to step out from where you're standing right now and come down to the front of this building, to stand down here in this altar area. This is a place that's designated specifically for people to come to the Lord. God bless you. People are coming from all over the building. And you say, Lord, I'm coming to you today because I desire to be filled with your spirit. I need a double portion of your Holy Ghost power in my life. People that come down to this altar, 
what they're signifying as they make their way down is we are admitting publicly that we can't save ourselves that we need a God I said we need a God that is a holy God and a righteous God and we need him to intervene on our behalf and as you make your way down to this altar you're saying I can't save myself but I believe that God can and that he will and I'm coming to you today God because I need your spirit I need the hand of God to come over my life Maybe you want to come down to this altar and stand in the place of some unsaved children or an unsaved spouse. Or you say, I need a touch in my body today. I want to invite you to come. The people of God are going to come and pray with you today. Why don't we lift our heads up to God all over the front of this building. Here I stand, God. Here I stand, Lord. I admit that I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus.